0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Because We Went to Therapy podcast. I'm Emily, and today we have a very exciting interview with a dietitian. We've had dietitians on before, and we are just so passionate about talking about people's relationship with food and trying to better it and get away from diet culture, so we're really excited to have another dietitian on. We're excited to continue the conversation, so we have Lauren with us today, and Lauren, we'd love to have you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about um, yourself and how you got into the dietitian world, and we'll go from there.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Um, So I'm Lauren Dorman. I'm a registered dietitian, nutrition therapist. This is actually my 20th year, and um, when I started as a dietitian, um, I you know, you learn what you learn in school. You learn the way, the diet culture way, almost, um, which we will talk about. And it's centered around weight loss and portion control and calories, um, which doesn't work for long-term health. Um, For many people that can work short-term and then it causes disordered thoughts and behaviors around food. So, I had to learn that in my journey. You know, I worked inpatient as a dietitian for five years. I worked uh, with a lot of patients with diabetes. I worked on the pediatric floor. Then I worked for a pediatric endocrinologist um, and then an adult diabetes center and then went to my private practice. And what the 20 years of knowledge has given me is that. I would say 90% of people struggle with their relationship with food almost on a daily consistent basis because of what culture and the medical system teaches them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also a mom to <laughs> two beautiful kids, um, Jacob and Sarah. And um, just to tell you a little bit about my personal life. And I, I loved um, I love reading, I love doing yoga, I love cooking and baking. And um I really um enjoyed, you know, being with my family and, and friends.
0: Awesome. It it must be so interesting to be have been a dietitian for twenty years and just see like the the change, I feel mm-hmm. like. Like you were talking about like what you learned in school so many years ago, and then like as we continue to get away from diet culture. Um, even though, you know, there's, it still exists on a very large, Mm -hmm. um, basis, but yeah, that must just be so interesting to like, to evolve, like your own knowledge of, um, that, you know, people's relationship with food.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think about four years ago, I started seeing more of the intuitive eating community and anti-diet dietitians on instagram and then i read the intuitive eating book and once you read that and then you relate it to your clinical experience and you realize that what you're advising is act some of what you're advising is harmful and you know there's a lot of dietitians that came to that realization in their careers and they they wish they, I wish, and they wish they could go back and hug those patients and say, "I'm sorry that I gave you that advice." But the reality is, is we just had to learn that that wasn't going to work long term, and it was going to harm them mentally and also physically. Um, and when you learn the the tools and the strategies and the self care framework of intuitive eating. You really are working on a person's whole mental, emotional, physical health. And when you're coming from an aspect of diet culture, which really is a system of beliefs that values thinness over health. So there's no consideration of health at all. It's just focusing on the thin ideal and it's a billion dollar culture that is making money off of insecurities of human beings so um, you know everybody should feel um i wish everybody felt confident and and secure in the body that they lived in every day and that's just that's not the reality but um because of the system of beliefs that we all it's all ingrained in us since we're probably two to three years old, and mm-hmm. I have to come in and I have to challenge your thoughts and your feelings and change your behaviors around food and around body and around yourself. Because if you don't value yourself and respect yourself as a person, and you're not kind to yourself and you have that inner critic, you're, you can't take care of yourself mm-hmm you know and it's
2: probably like you kind of touched on so difficult realizing that you know you might have talked to clients in the past before you had the knowledge that you do now like oh wait maybe that advice at that time was a little bit harmful but you just we didn't know any better at the time and as the science evolves and the trends evolve and things like that so I'm just interested to know if um you kind of ever struggled with diet culture personally when you started out as a dietitian or maybe back in college and kind of how that evolved into your work today?
1: So many dietitians do struggle with their relationship with food and have come from eating disorders or disordered eating or parents that dieted. I did not. I came from um, a family that uh, we all foods fit. And it was, there was no dieting going on in in my family. Um, However, you know, learning, like I still did have some disordered behaviors when I look back because thinking that you should have a half of a banana or have 10 almonds, you know, those are just some examples um, or not avoiding carbs, but limiting a certain amount to have an adequate amount, but not an excess amount. And that's, Mm -hmm. again, what I was taught. Um, But what usually happens is it backfires because everybody knows their body's hunger and fullness best. And there's going to be times when we're hungrier than others in the month, right? So if you're following some plan, that's the should, right? It's coming from the exterior. It's not the interior. And you're sitting down and you're eating this portion of Whatever it is, I'll do an example. Like, let's say you had, I really don't want to give measurements and stuff, but let's just say you had some rice some chicken and some vegetables, right? And you walked away and you knew that you were not satisfied and you were not feeling like full enough. You were still having a little hunger, but the shoulds, right? It's like, well, I should eat that portion right and then what do you think would happen later on in the night or the next day right there could be binges that develop because the body needed to be adequately fed throughout the day and i think that's something that so many people don't understand because of diet culture telling them like you should fast you should avoid carbs um only when you're hungry i mean the biology and the physiology of the body Just wants to be fed. So like a big thing is like with my clients is like you need to respect your body, regardless of hunger, sometimes because if four hours go by and you aren't eating, it's most likely you're going to start to develop some irritability, some fatigue, some a headache. And you might not feel physical sensation of hunger. And so many people don't understand that hunger is not just that physical sensation. It could come on in other aspects, especially if your body doesn't trust you if you don't feed it throughout the day. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: if there's anything that your listeners walk away with, it's that they should be fueling their body at least four minimum times a day, up to six times. um, And if they need to more, but, and, and fasting is, is harmful. And it is advised by even medical professionals. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: But you're not respecting that, that your body does need energy and fuel in the morning, your brain needs it, your organs need it. And listen, if one to 5% of the population feels great and is is fasting, you know, it could be but for for the majority, it's not health, it's not it's not giving your body what it needs and it's, it's going to backfire and you're not, you're not going to feel good.
2: Right. Absolutely. And I feel like just from my perspective, growing up in, you know, grade school, middle school, high school, there really was not a lot of education around like what types of foods we should eat, what types of portions should make up our plates to, you know, help satisfy our different, you know nutritional needs how many the only number i remember growing up um that we were told how many calories we needed a day was 1200 and i didn't realize till i was an adult and started working with a dietitian myself that that was way way too little and i know people everywhere especially women just beat themselves up because they think that oh for not eating like this small amount of calories per day we're we're never going to be able to lose weight or, you know, get to that thin figure that is so just permeating culture. And that can be really, really difficult mentally and physically. It just leads to so many problems down the road. Yeah.
1: The 1,200 calorie thing, right? So, um it's so harmful. It's your body is 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 malnourished and underfed and not fueled appropriately with that that amount of calories unless you're a toddler. So mm-hmm. um, I actually give presentations for schools as well. And I my presentation is called redefining the way that we approach health. So um, schools sh- and health teachers um they should be teaching that all foods fit um how to make a balanced plate how to make a, a how to make a balanced plate and snack plate right so like a snack can include you know something that might be taught in school that's bad or unhealthy like an example mm-hmm. would be doritos or goldfish or a cupcake or some chocolate you know like um uh, uh, cookies like these are it's just food it might have less nutrients than the other foods, but it's just food. So if we taught children from a young age that um, we're not placing a moral value on food, right? We're not bad or good as a person for eating the food, but instead we are just a person eating a cookie. We are a person eating fruit. We are a person eating vegetables, right? So making a plate that has that variety, right? Like, so I teach adults and children, you have some carrot sticks, you have some cheese, you have your cookie, you have your um, what I think, well, that's a pretty nice plate. But if you want to add more. Um, so like, do you see how you're neutralizing like anything that was thought of as bad? And um, mm-hmm. that would be incredible if schools taught food neutrality. Mm-hmm. right taught, absolutely taught yeah. that like you and n taught that you actually need why we need carbohydrate because society is really demonizing carbs right um
0: so crazy because it's literally the thing that keeps us alive
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yes it's and we crazy. do need a minimum of 130 carbs a day please don't count but i'm just <laughs> giving you the scientific evidence that you need a minimum of that you can definitely have well above that Mm-hmm. to for your brain and your organs to function and for you to to give your body energy and carbs give our give us serotonin they make us happy too I'm sure they make mm-hmm. you guys happy right oh, yeah um, oh yeah yeah and <laughs> like when somebody says to me like oh I eat too many carbs or I love carbs like or they say I have a sweet tooth I'm always like I challenge them I'm like and why do you think that there's something wrong with that, right? So where are right. they getting that from? And you, and they really have to dig deep and understand, like, you know, it could be something that a friend said, something that they read in an article, something that a doctor said, something that um, a, a family member said it at a at a holiday dinner. So, you know, there's so many different mm-hmm. circumstances in that like one comment made them fearful of the food, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to shift away and and also going back to like the schools, we want to shift away from any fear or feeling bad around food and go to satisfaction and peace and fuel and variety and flavor, you know, like, yes. And yeah. Or else it becomes a problem because then you're, then you're feeling out of control around food because you're giving it you're restricting mentally and physically and you're giving it a lot of power and once Mm -hmm. you can bring that power down and once you allow yourself permission in a way that feels physically and mentally good to you you begin to have this better relationship with food Mm -hmm. yeah that
0: that's really well said that the power that we give food. And I think it's so hard because, you know, I had a client tell me that her daughter came home from school and was like, oh, my teacher said donuts are bad. And I was like, this is so, and you can't even blame the teacher, right? Because it's diet culture. And then, you know, mm-hmm. the teacher's probably in their own, um, you know, they got those mm-hmm. all those messages. Right. And, you know, when I, because, um, you know, I've said on the podcast before that, you know, I'm in recovery from an eating disorder. And when I first um, went to treatment, I remember, you know, my dietitian asking me, like, what was like, what was food like in your house growing up? And I was like, we pretty much, you know, we had all foods, right? Like we had, you know, Oreos in the house, we had Pop-Tarts, but we also usually for dinner had like chicken and veggies. And I was like, it was good. Like, I don't understand where, you know, this comes from. And then it's hard because what I didn't realize is that even though my parents were like, yeah, you guys can, you know, eat any snacks you want. And like, they never shamed us for what we looked like at all but all my mom did was shame herself, right? So I didn't realize that you can have, you know, obviously my eating disorder didn't just come from this, you know, it stems from trauma, but I didn't realize that you can have, um, thoughts about your body based on what someone else says. right? like my mom was looking in the mirror, like being, or like looking at herself being like, I'm so fat or I'm so X, Y, and Z. And me and my sister and my brother are just like watching this, right? Internalizing mm-hmm. this, even if it wasn't said to us. And so I think that was a big shift and why you know I always encourage people, like don't make comments about your own body either. Like whether it's positive or negative, just don't make comments about your own body because people mirror what you say right? And so that was a big thing for me um, to understand, like when I first started healing my relationship with food in my body is that it's not just about, you know, what people say to you, it's also about what the people around you say, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If they're saying that, oh, my body's I'm fat and that's a bad thing. And then you're internalizing that as, okay, that must be bad. And I don't want to be bad. So I must be thin because I want to be good. Like, it's so crazy Mm -hmm. how like this good Mm -hmm. and bad has Mm -hmm. taken over our society in terms of bodies and food.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Emily, thank you for sharing that. Um, And and I want to ask you, was your mom able to definitely make changes around her discussions throughout your disorder and after like what? No,
0: um, I love my mom very much, but she has a lot of her own stuff that gets in the way from her from, I mean, like I've mm-hmm. called her out, right? And my sister has called her out and like, mom, stop, like we can't, these comments are not helpful. So we've told her many times, but uh, unfortunately, like she just has a lot of her own stuff that prevents her from um healing her relationship with her own body Mm -hmm. the food isn't so bad but it's the body comments Mm -hmm. about herself that are still there
1: what's interesting is fat is not actually um a feeling right so like people say i feel fat i look like i look fat it's an emotion that that person is having it's all part of an emotional process um and parents don't like i remember giving um a talk to a Girl Scout uh, workshop. There was like 10 Girl Scouts. And the mom came up to me after I presented. And she said, there was a slide that I did about what parents shouldn't say to children to have a better relationship with food. And she said, I pretty much say all of those to my child. And now I won't any like, you know, now she'll begin not to but she said that she definitely talks about her body in front of Her daughter and she didn't realize right Right. and all the girls were nine years old at the time yeah um and that's incredible that just that one hour of me educating that girl scout workshop her mom will be more aware self-aware of that but yes many clients i work with um whether regardless of their age right age 10 to 60 to 70. i have definitely heard before that their mom commented on their own bodies and then it's that internal of right like like i guess smaller is better in this world and i guess my worth is is my body like if my mom is is commenting on her body on a consistent basis whether it's a couple times a week or a couple times a month right
0: Mm -hmm.
1: i'm learning that worth is due to body size whereas Mm -hmm. a family that doesn't comment on body size is learning that all size bodies can exist. You can take up as much space as you would like to, and whatever space you take up will love you. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And which is a beautiful thing. If families can, you know, I hope that more families grow up like that where, um, because the reality is, is that, you know, a child in a larger body could eat the same exact food, even exercise more than a child in a smaller body. And that parent might feel, um, Ashamed or embarrassed or thinking that they're doing something wrong because their child's in a larger body, but it really is a lot of it is genetic Um, Mm -hmm. and that's not even something that pediatricians really speak about either um, Mm -hmm. because if they're concerned about a weight gain and. Normal weight gain during puberty is like 20 to 40 pounds, and that's not spoken about in schools and in society, right? It's like that's the age that disordered eating could develop, right? Mm-hmm. When the weight gain is coming on from puberty. So, yeah, um, the comments about body sizes, just in not even from parents, but just uh, another thing that people could walk away with from this podcast today is that please don't comment um on someone's body or on someone's food choice or food amounts right or Mm -hmm. you know everybody has different uh hunger levels and appetite levels and fullness and to say to someone like do you need more that's enough like all of that really harms that child or adult, (laughs) because there could be adult parents that are talking to their adult children and saying those things too. And um, then the brain will go to, wait, is it enough? Like, why is someone commenting on how much I want to eat? And maybe what I ate wasn't enough and I'm going back for Mm seconds. So if someone loses weight and you see them, don't say you look great, you lost weight that feeds into somebody's disordered eating and it makes them unhealthier comment and say are you feeling okay what have you been up to lately you know just why is losing weight why are we saying that because we're ingrained to say oh smaller is better but why don't we shift the conversation and change that generational shift to are you okay you know i've done that Mm -hmm. with some people like even some friends from high school like i'll I, and they've opened up to me a little bit, like uh, through a message or through, well, in person, there was one girl, you know, that I did, I was like, are you, are you doing okay? I noticed she did lose a significant amount of weight through, through a Facebook picture. And, um, she was not doing okay. And I don't think a lot of people would message her that they would just say, you look great. You look great. You lost weight, you know? And it's like, let's change that conversation. I hope that some of your listeners well, think about that and be more aware to um, to not comment on body sizes or food. That would be mm-hmm. amazing.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: because I know for myself,
2: at some points in my life, when I've unintentionally lost the mo most weight, is when I was going through mental health struggles, and it really had not much to do with you know me intentionally trying to drop pounds, but more just. I was struggling to eat because I had anxiety or Mm -hmm. things like that going on. So, and I think weight loss in general can be so celebrated, especially on social media, um, which we don't realize can also be really toxic because weight loss does not always equate or it never equates to, you know, being a better person. It's just Mm -hmm. the size of your body, the size of your pants.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they could really be struggling mentally with a fixation on food and body um, that takes up a lot of mental space in their brain. So if there's, Mm -hmm. um, if you're out there and your brain is constantly focusing on food, body portions, measuring, exercise, that's not normal health. That's actually stress. Mm -hmm. That's, Mm -hmm. And, and dieting is stress on the body. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remember um, in treatment, one of my therapists, he asked me, he was like, what's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? And I was like, how I'm not going to eat today. And I was like, when I said that, I was like, wait, that's so sad. That, like, the minute my brain turns on to consciousness, that's the first thing I think about. And I was like, that is so sad. And, like, that can't – that's that's not healthy, right? But mm-hmm. it, at the time, I was like, that can't be healthy. Like, that can't be normal, right? And then if you ask – like, I, I asked my partner that who you know, has never struggled with food or his body in his life. And he was like, mom, I don't want to think about um, what, what I'm going to do today or, like, you know, what I'm going to mm-hmm. have for breakfast. But, like, not in, like, an obsessive way, just like an, oh, I'm hungry type of way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it is – it is so taxing and so tiring to constantly be thinking about the size of your body or Mm -hmm. how you're going to, what you're going to eat today or what you're not going to eat today. Like it is, I call it mental gymnastics. Like it's just constantly like moving and it's exhausting, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're right. It is stress on the body. And um, it's just so crazy too, because like the, the comments that are quote-unquote positive, right? Like when I was in my disorder, like if somebody was like, you look so thin, I was like, ooh, I need to, I need to keep either keep this thinness mm-hmm. or be thinner, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I was like, okay, I finally got enough compliments. I don't mm-hmm. need to keep losing weight, right? Like that's the problem when you have um, an eating disorder or like disordered eating or an obsession mm-hmm. with fitness is that it's never enough. And that's why eating disorders are either the first or second like deadliest mental illness because it like the, the desire to be thin can never feel like enough when you're in that disordered eating and the compliments only make it um it's like fuel to the fire like it only makes it stronger that urge to continue to lose weight or to restrict or do whatever it is in your disorder and so yeah like that's why like compl- comp- any comments on people's bodies I think we should just like throw out the throughout the window and Mm -hmm. we need to start at like a young age, right? Like, you know, when kids are like 11 or 12, when they, you know, maybe they're, um, you're commenting on like their bodies or like, Oh, like, you know, you look really good. I feel like it just starts at such a young age and Mm -hmm. it really needs to, needs to stop.
1: Yeah. I wish there was like a class in school, fifth grade, even like stop commenting on anyone's bodies. And that was, Mm -hmm. everybody just stopped and, you know, or if, again, if people lost weight, they, um, they were concerned and they asked them, you know, are you feeling okay? Are you eating enough? Are you, um, what's going on, you know, more, but, um, yeah, it's so interesting how the exterior, uh, compliments feed into that never enough, never enough, never enough. Right. And really keep you more disordered and then more mentally, um, in a really bad place, right. With really low energy. And, um, probably you couldn't even, um, put your thoughts together. You probably had a severe, um, brain fog. I, Emily, I would assume, right. Like poor energy, severe brain fog. Um, and then like the constant thought about food because the brain is fixed so fixated on food because you were restricting and it it needs food to survive so mm-hmm. a lot of women with disordered eating who come to me will say like i am constantly thinking about food <laughs> and i don't want to constantly think about food anymore and then when you're healing you're not you don't have to think about food anymore because your body is nourished and your brain is nourished
0: right mhm yeah yeah Absolutely. Yeah, the, the brain fog is so real that when I um, mm-hmm. started grad school, I was like, I, I can't function. Like, I can't mm-hmm. go to school. I can't do my homework. I can't keep in this mentality because I was restricting so heavily before. But then once I started grad school, I was like, I can't even think. Un- mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I found another way to um, re- to not eat my food right or mm-hmm. to get rid of it I guess but it mm-hmm. was still like the, I couldn't restrict anymore because mm-hmm. like the brain fog was so so bad and I was like I can't mm-hmm. go to school like this like I'm going to school to be a therapist and my brain's not even fully yep. functioning
1: did you feel a little bit of social isolation too like were you kind of not as social Emily like
0: no actually my social life was like through the roof like, it was actually, like,
1: yeah, so it's yeah. all different. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's so different depending, because I was, like, I was, like, going out and, like, mm-hmm. meeting because I just moved to Arizona, so I was, like, going out, meeting new people, you know, meeting guys, like, my social life was actually doing really well, and, like, the the eating disorder was, like, almost, like, fueling on that. It's, like, mm-hmm. okay, like, you have such a great life, like, you're happy, like, mm-hmm can, you're happy at this weight, like, you know, you, you should, you could be even happier at a lower weight. It was mm-hmm. almost like fueling it sometimes, like the social, like, th-
1: good. Yeah, I think that people don't realize that they, like, am I sick enough, right? Like, mm-hmm. you are sick enough if you, if there are aspects of your physical and mental health that are given up for the life that you're living with your thoughts around food and body. And you have to remember, too, that, I think this is really important that eating disorders are a mental disorder, not a weight disorder. So a lot of people think of anorexia and they think like severely underweight or malnourished, um, you could definitely be in any body size. And this is surprising for a lot of people to hear. You could be in any body size and have anorexia because it's a mental illness and it's about your thoughts and your behaviors and your feelings around food and body. It's not a body size. And you could definitely be restricting, and um, there could be other behaviors around food that are um, that are considered an eating disorder. Again, in any body size. So please remember that. Like, there's people struggling. There's 30 million people that are documented that have an eating disorder, and then 75% of women struggle with disordered eating. So mm-hmm. it's. It's, it's almost like, that's why I'm going back to like sick enough. Like, it's almost like, you know, we live in this world that's, that is a disordered eating world. Right. So people don't think that there's anything wrong with their thoughts and beliefs and their behaviors until it affects them and they're burnt out and they're exhausted, emotionally drained, and can't think clearly and irritable, um, stress, you know, there, there's so much negative consequences around restricting Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's a physiological need, right? We all need, we all need shelter, warmth, water, food, air, the physiological needs. Like when you break it down, just the basics, right. Mm -hmm. But food is not looked at as one of those physiological needs. Mm -hmm. And if, because society doesn't teach it that way. Yeah. So if we could break it down, like, you know, so I do this with all my, clients, like you just break it down simply, you make nutrition more simple. And would you, you know, if you had to go to the bathroom, would you not go to the bathroom? No, you would go to the bathroom. So like, if you're hungry, why are you not eating? Right? Different thought process, but no normal hunger is every two to four hours for every human being for most human beings. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: that thought of why am I hungry? I just ate. Oh, I'm hungry. My body's healthy. It's asking me for some food. Okay, gonna get gonna get some food and, and respect that. You know, it's mm-hmm. not it, it takes time, but eventually, but you'll feel so much better in all aspects of your health.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, have you seen a big difference between women and men in terms of diet culture and just kind of their beliefs around it? Because I know we talked a bit about like the mother child relationship, so. I don't know, I guess just from my
1: lens, it seems like it might be more prevalent in
2: women, but I'm interested to hear your take on it.
1: So yeah, most of the population I work with is women. Um, I mean, maybe five to 10% men, but f- those men still, I-, I think pretty similar to what the women have gone through with co- you know, parents commenting on their body or their food choices. And they were given inappropriate advice of what diet to follow and they struggle some men struggled with binge eating because they were restricting and felt that fatigue and that that irritability um and the thoughts around food yeah i mean i don't think there's much of a difference i think it's a human being that have these Thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are learned from our society and ingrained in our brain since we were little. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't Mm -hmm. see as many men. I mean, maybe they are more shameful or embarrassed to come forward and talk about that. Mm -hmm. Women are as well, but perhaps the, the men feel a little bit more insecure about getting help. And again, feeling that like, this is just supposed to be healthy. I'm supposed to fast, or I'm supposed to be on low carb, or this is what I'm supposed to do, unless there's a professional coming in to, yeah. to help you like, or to, or that you, that you are suffering in some, some way. But I, I mean, my heart goes out to so many people out there that don't know that there's a better way and don't have access to working with an anti-diet like, because. A lot of the medical field doesn't get disordered eating and doesn't understand it.
2: Hmm.
0: Hmm. Well, and I think men, like, at least in my experience, I work with um, a decent amount of men who struggle with body image, right? So it may not so much be about what they're eating, but about how their body looks, because there's definitely a, an ideal, quote unquote, ideal type for men too. Right, and so yeah, I think you're right that it's a human being struggle mm-hmm. um, created by uh, the seventy five billion dollar industry that diet culture is.
1: Yeah, and you can't um, you can't unsee it once you learn unlearn. I tell a lot of people like you're unlearning a lot of things. You're learning, but you're unlearning. Right, and. Um, You really start to spot things and hear things differently once you're more aware of that. And you begin to create a new set of belief systems and really even rewiring your brain and your neurons to this new way of approaching health and food and body. Um, It's definitely possible for so many people who who want to feel better. And it's Mm. all about internally like you know coming from a place of self-care right and internal like self-love and self-care and self-respect and compassion not from any um rules or rigidity or structure but from like a flexible a flexible way of eating and that that is health is a flexible way to eat all different types of food and variety in a way that makes you feel good Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and doesn't make you feel shameful
1: yeah because shame doesn't create long-term and sustainable habits right mm-hmm. and right most of the world shames people and that shame will never come through as a positive Right. Mm -hmm. Like you will, you'll, this will happen if you don't do this or you should, or you shouldn't. And when you come from that compassionate, like I see you, I hear you, I understand. um, Tell me more. Right. There's like, when you come from that place of. Like being kind to yourself. Right. Like I I say, like, that's the first step is like starting to become starting to be kinder to yourself.
2: Yeah. Mm Yeah.
1: Because you can't, you're not going to be able to have anything sustainable or realistic long term if you're not kind to yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. I always say to my clients, self compassion equals self improvement. Like you can't improve yourself, and no matter what way you're trying to, if you're beating yourself up constantly, like you need self uh, compassion, and it's proven, right? Mm-hmm. To Kristen mm-hmm. Neff and her work, and yep. so many other people's work that that is proven. Self-compassion leads to self-improvement.
1: I just started reading, um, the gifts of imperfection by Brené Brown. So yeah, we love
2: Brené Brown.
1: Brown. Yeah. Anytime we talk uh, about
0: shame, we're like, Brené Brown.
2: I know
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. Um, and we're, and, and like, you know, everyone has to feel those feelings of shame if they come in and not be, not be angry or mad that you're having those feelings, but it's what you do with that thought, right? It's like the second, like, okay, you're having that thought of you should, like, let's say like, you shouldn't eat that, right? And then you're like, but where is that going to get me in my day, in my life, in my, like, okay, I'm going to fight through and I'm going to eat that and I'm going to feel better. And, you know, there's like, don't shame yourself for having a thought around food that's not, I don't want to say the word good, but like, that's just not helpful because, Mm -hmm. because going, I think I said this three times already, but going back to like your brain being (coughs) wired from when you're young to think that way and just saying, okay, I'm good. No, thanks. Or, you know, I mean, people have, you know, cursed at their thoughts and done a lot of things to their thoughts and moved on with their day and felt better. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Let the thought come in and, and then eventually the thoughts the the thoughts will, will lessen in frequency, but never never be upset about any thought around food or body that comes in that you that are that's not helpful. Just it's what you do next with that thought and the behavior.
0: Absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's really important to remember too that kind of like we started off the episode with, it's so ingrained in our culture. And when you have those thoughts, it's not that you're a bad person or that you're You know bad for thinking these negative things around food or your body we're just so ingrained in it from the time that we are small children which i think it's great that you work with kids i wish Mm -hmm. i would have had something like that in my school when i was growing up because literally all we had at the time was the food pyramid which i guess just did not resonate with me because i don't remember most of it or like Mm -hmm. i basically had to relearn how to build a plate as an adult Mm -hmm. to make sure I get the nutrients that I need to fuel my day. So yeah, I think it's awesome that you are able to work with kids and start it from a young age, because then it just is less work as an adult
1: to try to kind of break down Mm -hmm. those ideas and stigmas. Mm -hmm. There's a registered dietitian in Maryland that I've spoken to in the, did I speak in the, in the spring Um, that changed the curriculum for all of the schools in Maryland uh, to this neutral health approach. And I had a nice conversation with her. And I did speak to the health coordinator um, of the New Jersey school systems. I had a nice um, Zoom uh, meeting with him. And he said that in four years, that's like every five years, Um, They redo the health curriculum. And he said he's definitely interested in what I'm presenting. And Mm -hmm. he watched he watched my workshop and he said that we'll be in touch. So I hope that I'll be able to help them and to help guide them to better health curriculum for our next generation's mental, emotional, physical health. And it would be a beautiful thing. And then these children would have to teach their parents
2: (laughs) because their parents
1: aren't, (laughs) but it would really, it would really shift the, some beliefs and behaviors around food And, and children would feel comfortable around all foods and not be fearful of the so-called bad or unhealthy foods, because we shouldn't be labeling any food that way. Right.
0: Absolutely. Well, I hope that happens too, because in high school, we got our French fries, cookies, and vending machines taken out. Uh, when I was in, at my high school, I don't know if that was all of Illinois, but at my high school that, that happened. And um, now, like, with the knowledge I have now, I'm like, that's horrible. Why We did not need to take out those things, because then it's just saying that those are bad we could have just, you know, had counseling around the different types of benefits we get from different foods. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they literally took away, I think it was my sophomore year. And I think, I think the Obamas did this actually, like they, Michelle I think so like too. Whole, whole, yeah. Um, no, love you, Michelle, but I think not, it
1: was not the, the greatest move.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I
1: think it was the obesity, which I don't like that word campaign. Yeah. Um, and I just want to let you all, you know, too, about obesity. Like it, it the, the American Medical Association termed that obesity was a disease in 2013. And the panel of physicians that were asked, should we label this a disease said, no, we should oh, not. Well. And they said, well, thanks, but we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to, and what thanks was the next minutes. step? The next step was actually selling weight loss drugs and what do do weight loss drugs do long term the patient will gain more weight back in the future than they started at and what will that help that will help diet culture make more money and and the weight loss drugs yeah, will help yeah. diet culture so i really hope that your listeners you know understand that and bmi is um is the creator said do not use this for health so if the creator said don't use that for health in the 1800s why are we using it for health now well
2: Mm-hmm.
1: there's a lot of I hate
2: the BMI behind I hate that. the BMI and ninety
1: 1996 I believe or ninety seven the BMI was um, increased and all of a sudden a million Americans became overweight overnight and that benefited weight watchers and weight loss drugs and so it's important to understand that BMI is not indicated in of, of your health, it's not related to your health, your behaviors, your health behaviors, right? Um, simple as, you know, water intake, movement, um, stress, um, you know, adequate fruit, vegetable, whole grains, the behaviors are more important than your body size. And that mm-hmm. is proven in study after study after study that weight does not equal health. Mm-hmm. And I wish standards. that, that's why I'm a health at every size dietitian so that yeah. I can teach everybody that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the behaviors mm-hmm. that the outcome of your, your longevity in life and your health is based on those behaviors. And going back to the shame again, this is really interesting because when you live in a large body and you're shamed, in our culture, that is actually the cause of a lot of diseases, right? How are you gonna feel? And how are you gonna treat yourself if you're shamed? Not very Mm -hmm. well. And then what's going to happen? You're not gonna have good health outcomes mentally or physically. And then are they blaming it on a body size, right? But Mm -hmm. let's look at the whole picture here. Yeah. The behaviors were not there. Yeah, so it's Mm -hmm. all really it's a, it's a lot strange. to digest.
0: It is a lot to digest. Diet culture is just so complex. And mm-hmm. there's just, I mean, we've just had so many diet. I was thinking about the Special K diet a couple days ago that was literally just eating Special K. And I was like, I was like mad at myself. I was like, how did you fall for that? Like you <laughs> fell for a company being like, eat my cereal and you will lose weight. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's just so crazy that how impactful diet culture can be. Can be. And Lauren, we're so grateful for you coming on here and, Thank and talking and talking about it and educating your clients. And, you know, if you can do that in the New Jersey school systems, I mean, that's mm-hmm. incredible because the more like we're only going to dismantle diet culture if we keep talking about it. And so that's mm-hmm. why we love um, having dietitians and, you know, um, eating disorder therapists and just anybody who wants to talk about mm-hmm getting out of diet culture Um, we really appreciate you coming on today
1: thank you so much for having me it was it was my pleasure yes thanks lauren thank you